The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality, one topic at a time. This is Icarus Boreati with Shane Jones. What is up, Inquirers? Welcome to Inquiries of Our Reality. I'm the inquisitive theoretician host they call Shane, and today I'd like to take you guys on a journey into the paranormal through deep conversation and exchanging of ideas with a delightfully vast-minded individual who was a joy to converse with. But before we can get into all that fun stuff, I got some news and updates, and of course we got to hit the front of house and all that. But uh, as far as news and updates go, I'm doing a t-shirt giveaway on social media. So if you guys haven't already checked that out, go and check it out if you guys want to possibly scoop a Inquiries of Our Reality or a Bizarre Encounters t-shirt. And I am doing a Patreon exclusive giveaway that comes with a t-shirt and some extra goodies, of course. And uh, another big announcement that I'd like to make is that uh, Orn and I are starting a Patreon exclusive show. It is going to be called Bizarre Inquiries. And the idea behind that is it's going to be primarily video based, but we're going to take a question and we're hoping to take in some listener questions and we're going to discuss it for about 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, We're going to have fun with it. Some of them are going to be deep though, Um, but at least for the first ones, we're going to kind of keep it a little bit light and fun. Uh, Questions such as if Sasquatch and the Mothman fought, who would win? Uh, but again, we, we can go pretty deep with it. So any of you guys listener questions that you guys would love to throw in, we'd love to be able to talk about in the show. And at least the first episode or two of that will be dropped on the normal feeds as far as inquiries of our reality and bizarre encounters goes. So you guys can at least check it out a little bit before you go over there and uh, hop on the Patreon. 
And moving into the front of house, check me out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Discord. Uh, the Discord is continuously building up, doing a lot more over there. I'm a lot more interactive over there. Uh, there's constant conversation going on all day. So if that sounds like something you guys might be interested in, uh, definitely go and check out the Discord. And if anybody's interested in being guests on the show or having me on your show, or if you're interested in sponsoring the show in some way, shape, or form, get a hold of me through social media or through the email, which is inquiries of our reality podcast at outlook.com. And uh, if anybody wants to report an encounter, I do have a specific email set up for that. It is OMMEncounterReports at Outlook.com. Or you guys can go, go to the link tree and it should be about the third tab down. You'll see something that says report an encounter. I'd love to collect all of those and possibly even talk about them on the show. But you know, when you guys shoot me a message, we can discuss just exactly what you want me to do with your encounter. If you want to keep it just between us, that's totally okay too. But uh, don't be afraid to report your encounters because I would absolutely love to hear them. And if you can't get enough of what I do, I always mention on every single show, go and check out Bizarre Encounters. That's my other show I do with my awesome co-host, Oren, where we deep dive into uh, the paranormal, uh, cryptids, UFOs, aliens, all that fun stuff. Any type of thing that could be categorized as a Bizarre Encounter, we definitely deep dive and talk about on the show. Mainly now, the show's kind of turned into us digging into stuff, but we're always happy to take guests on if you guys have anything that you guys would like to share. And if you guys want to keep tabs on everything I do, you guys can go and follow Open Minds Media across social media, of course. And if you guys want to support the show, you guys can go and become a Patreon member. I have recently updated those tiers again, so there's a lot of new benefits to go and check out. Uh, You'll get things such as ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, lives of episodes, live replays of episodes, uh, exclusive Patreon shows, uh, exclusive Patreon giveaways, merch store discounts. Uh, there's a lot a lot of really, really cool stuff going on over there. So if that sounds like something you guys might be interested in, don't forget to go and check it out. And I do offer a seven-day free trial for, I believe, the $5 tier. So if you guys want to check it out a little bit before you actually sign up, that option is always there now. And if you guys want to donate to the show directly, you guys can do so through PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, or Red Circle, which is the RSS host for the show. And if you guys donate, uh, it doesn't give you some type of option to leave a personalized message. Shoot me a message. Let me know that you guys donated because I'd love to give you a shout out in the show. And all of that will go back towards uh, me being able to vend, go out and meet more of you guys, get new pockets of listeners. So all of it's going to help the show. So anything you guys are willing to do, I absolutely appreciate it. And Third, you guys can uh, go and check out the Open Minds Media merch store. Over there, you'll find stuff for Inquiries Are Reality, Bizarre Encounters, and a bunch of other extra cryptid designs that I'm starting to work on over there. Uh, I'm always trying to expand that merch store, so if there's anything you guys would like to see over there, let me know. I'd be more than happy to include it over there. And the fourth way you guys can support the show is through sharing it through word of mouth with a friend. It's an awesome way to help it grow. And you guys can always leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. And if you guys leave a five-star review on iTunes, then I will read on the show, of course, and give you a shout out. And speaking of that, today's five-star review comes from Robert Pittman. And he says, from Texas, excellent voice and cadence. Content is great. And uh, thank you to uh, Robert for leaving that awesome review. Definitely appreciate it. Stuff like that helps it so that the algorithm makes it so that more people are able to see the show and it's a way to help the show continuously grow. So if you guys are uh, in the business of helping out a, helping out a podcaster to keep uh, bumping up his show, then please, please, please leave those reviews and ratings. But if you guys don't feel like doing any of that, of course, I'm just happy you guys are here listening to the show because I wouldn't be doing any of the show without you guys. And just having you guys out there listening means absolutely the world to me. And uh, while we're talking about supporting creators, don't forget to go and check out Joe over there at Crypto Theology. 
killing it as always with his merch designs. Uh, I know he has a bunch of new stuff in the works, so there should be a bunch of new stuff dropping very soon, but that guy's always working, always creating new stuff. So there's always new stuff to go and check out every single time you go and check out his website. And to all you paranormal researchers out there, if you want to get yourself a really, really cool all-in-one paranormal investigating device, don't forget to go and check out the Chattergeist. It's created by Dimension Devices. It's uh, one of my personal favorite devices that I've used so far as far as paranormal investigating goes. And if you guys have any questions whatsoever about it, you guys can always uh, hit up the Dimension Devices Instagram. And the guy who runs that is actually the guy who programs it, so he could help you with any tech questions that you might have. And if you guys are interested in picking one up for yourself, don't forget to use my affiliate link, which is in the link tree. And uh, every single thing that I've mentioned, of course, is all available in the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show. Please welcome to the show, paranormal investigator, Ari Spence. How's it going today? Doing well, rocking and rolling, vibing and thriving. How about you, Shane? Not too bad myself. I had a long day at work, but it's always nice to be able to sit down and do these shows because they're like the highlight of my day. So thanks for making the time to come on, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Oh, thank thank you for having a conversation with me. I appreciate that. I look forward to learning things from you. So uh, for all the listeners who may not know who you are or what you do, uh, why don't you kind of give them an idea about who you are and what you do? Who? How long we got? The resume is quite long, but uh, oh no, take your time. Long and the short of it is that I, (laughs) um, for the longest time, I was on the path of becoming a lawyer. I went to law school, graduated law school, and promptly upon graduation, decided that is not the career I wanted, and I jumped ship. Next thing you know, I'm involved in the paranormal, something that was not on my bingo card, but an opportunity was extended to me by somebody that I look up to and I had worked with previously. And I was taken on a journey that has led me to a point in my life where I realized, hey, I'm there is a part of me that's passionate about the law. There's an even bigger part of me that's passionate about the paranormal and maybe I can combine those two things and help facilitate and understand some of the things that is unexplainable. So what kind of a uh, like led you that you wanted to get into the paranormal in the first place? Was it like an interest in it like through your whole life or did you have like specific experiences that happened to you? Like what, what kind of got you rolling and going into that court? Well, I had always been interested in the paranormal just because I had experiences when I was a child. You know, after my grandmother had passed, I saw her and I used to have dreams about deceased relatives. And growing up Catholic, there's that always that level of mysticism and, you know, paranormal involvement, the fear of demons and the unknown, things like that. And I used to watch ghost hunters with my mom and my aunt. So it was always something that was in my life and I was interested in, I just didn't know how influential it was until I was invited to work on the Pine Bush UFO and Paranormal Museum, just purely as administration at one point. And eventually, as time progressed, it became more and more about the research and assisting with the development of the paranormal side of it. And over the course of that, I realized that 
not only was it something that was a mild interest to me because I'd grown up with it and I had experiences, but it was something that I was passionate about learning and sharing with other people and trying to understand all these weird circumstances and goings on around the world. So, uh, when you mentioned before we started recording that you kind of have this mindset where it's kind of like half the lawyer, half paranormal investigator, uh, how, do, how does that kind of work exactly? Like, what, what, what's kind of like your thought press, process behind it, uh, combining the two? Well, my thought process uh, is set in legal precedent because there is a case called the Ghostbusters decision, legally known as Dambowski v. Ackley out of Nyack, where a home was deemed legally haunted. Now, what that means isn't that the legal system in New York says that ghosts exist. What it means is that hauntings are real as a matter of law. Even back in law school, that kind of, you know, that tickled my brain a bit, being like, huh, what does that really mean? And once I started working in the paranormal, I found myself returning to that decision, not only because I was nostalgic for the parts of the legal realm that I did enjoy, but also Everyone's always so fast to quote science and try to say that it's molecular, it's electromagnetic, it's something tangible like that, which I agree with and I encourage all that research. But I also started to ponder how much of it is philosophical because something can be haunted as a matter of law. And the way that something becomes haunted as a matter of law is that it's highly based on the human experience. So how much of what is considered the paranormal based on our own very real and human perception of it? So with that in mind, I always look at things as almost two-tiered. That is, what is real, meaning that the legends are real, the folklore is real. It is real because it is a thing that we are discussing. But then the other tier on top of it is, does it exist the way that we believe it might exist? Because there's that very clear disjuncture between existence and reality and kind of towing the line between what those two mean and what does that and how does that interact with our everyday life. So just out of uh, curiosity, uh, you said that there's like a legal word for like haunting. Like how, how does uh, the, the law legally define like a haunted house, so to speak? So in the Stambovsky decision, the way that they determined it was haunted as a matter of law was that because there was so much of a background and a folklore saying that the location was haunted, that because of the issues of law at hand, meaning that the issue was, is this house haunted to the detriment of its property value, that because of the belief of the haunting was so substantial within the community that deemed it haunted as a matter of law. So the fact that you can look at just purely human experience and stories that are created by people, and that's enough to say that something is haunted, is intriguing because I feel like as investigators and researchers, we're always so 
keen and invested in finding what I call tangible data or tangible evidence. You're always looking for those EVPs. You're always looking for your REM pod to go off, your melmeter, which are all very important and key data points. However, we also have to think about our human experience and how much of it influences that potential paranormal activity, whether it is real only because we have stories about it and we continue to perpetuate that reality or because it exists as an entity in and of itself. Either which way it goes, part of the hinge point is that human experience and the stories that we tell to each other. See, I find it kind of interesting, and I'm glad that it's still somewhat included in the law because obviously back in the day during like the witch trials, everything going on with that, um, like religion played a bigger aspect as far as like the law goes. So, you know, some, some, trying to say somebody was a witch or that something was haunted was a lot more socially accepted back in the day. And then we kind of went through a point where we started kind of just relying more on science and completely dropped that out to the point where there was, uh, not to get too far into the Warrens because they're kind of a touchy subject, a lot of the paranormal, but the whole thing with uh, that that exorcism case where that one uh, kid ended up killing somebody and they tried to use that as a defense and it pretty much got thrown out. And then again, you bring back the idea that there is like legal hauntings. You know, they try to say that that was like the last time that somebody tried to really use that as like a defense anymore. Um, but you know, assumably after hearing that you would assume that pretty much anything that would be considered paranormal is pretty much thrown out of law. So it's, it's interesting to hear that there actually is still a legal definition for something being haunted, even if it's mainly just, I guess, partly defacing the value of the house based on a belief that's built behind it. But with that, I mean, it still brings some substance to it that at least it's acknowledged as a phenomenon, uh, whether you believe in it or not, it still holds a place within the law because people would not buy a house because they believe in it, or they would buy the house because they believe in it. It kind of it goes both ways on that one. That That is definitely one of the interesting things too about the case is that the whole case ran on the assumption that a haunted property automatically depreciates in value. But as we see, there's a huge market for haunted locations. People will actively pay money to go there. People will pay money to purchase a haunted location. So it wasn't necessarily that the law was trying to say, let me back up a second. The Stambovsky decision, while it mentions the paranormal, it very much is a basic boring contract and real estate law case that just happens to have that interesting twist of the paranormal on it. That it boils down to what is the reputation of the property, because rep reputation is part of determining property value. And the way that the court set up this precedent to even discuss the paranormal within the circuit was that because back in the day, if you didn't know somebody's property line, but it was kind of well held in the community, it's like, ah, you know, his his property line cuts off where that, where that brook meets the tree. That was deemed enough to say, hey, that's where the property line ends in absence of evidence of where the property line truly ended. That is what gave the precedent to something like Stambovsky to say, hey, this property is haunted as a matter of law. And it's interesting that you bring up the devil made me do it defense case because it was dismissed as a defense saying that it is illogical. 
Now, could that be because there are other methods of defense, such as temporary insanity, um, impassioned murder, things like that? Maybe. Because even the court in Stambovsky, where you have something that's being deemed legally haunted, they start off the bat saying that this is not to determine whether or not ghosts exist. That I believe, I believe the quote is even, it should be a hobgoblin put to rest. So it's not necessarily that the court was really looking to put their two cents in on whether or not the paranormal exists. It was very much more of a philosophy regarding what does it mean for something to be haunted if there's just stories about it and does it actually have an impact. But when you really boil it down, it does the human experience have a tangible impact upon the value of something? And the established case law says, yeah, people's stories and their experiences can have a very material impact on a property. Could you like theoretically use that law to say like uh, like a certain area is haunted and say you want to make it like a historic spot or you want to make it like a landmark spot? Could you like use that defense for that in order to make that the reason why the land gets preserved and possibly doesn't get built on? Or is that kind of not really fall in the same area? Um, It would be it would be interesting because one of the things, too, that a lot of paranormal investigators look into is the history of it so you could always just argue from a from that standpoint that something should be preserved because it is historical and then you can always just tap on the paranormal aspect of it you know you have places like george washington's headquarters in tapan that's historic site that has paranormal uh uh, paranormal activity attached to it or something like the 76 house in Japan where it's a historic site with alleged paranormal activity attached to it. I would personally use the similar lens that is seen in the Stambovsky decision, you know, the Ghostbusters decision to say that, hey, because there is a framework within the law to say that human experience and human folklore surrounding the paranormal is enough to establish something as being haunted as a matter of law, that would be enough to say that this property is experienced haunting. Now, not necessarily because there are actual ghosts, but because we as people have created a story that it is haunted. So even if the ghosts don't exist, the property is still haunted by our stories of the haunting, if that makes sense. It's kind of paranormal meta, I guess. Yeah, because it's like it's built in folklore no matter what way you look at it. So whether you believe in it or not, that folklore still exists within that area. And you kind of start getting into like the whole like totem idea that, you know, maybe if enough people start thinking about something specifically, maybe it kind of creates something there. And whether it's actually tangible or it's just that they humans end up creating like a feeling within the area just through human communication that now this place forever feels like a tainted land just off of people creating stories about it. Again, whether you believe in it or not, there's still that dark feeling and ambiance to that area just because of people sharing the stories about it. Exactly. Because the human experience is pivotal if you look cross-culturally, every culture has some form of ghost story. There is some kind of undead entity. Monsters even share similarities because 
we put a lot of stock into these stories because they help us understand not only some things that are unexplainable, you have unexplainable phenomenon, these things are occurring, but also it helps us understand ourselves because oftentimes they are a reflection of who we are as people and who we are as a culture. So whether or not ghosts exist, you can debate that and share evidence either which way. But the fact that cross-culturally across the globe, we all have similar stories surrounding the paranormal, even if it's just a legend, means that something deeply ingrained in our human sensibility makes these stories accessible to us and identifiable. I mean, I think it comes down to just the whole concept about like the fear of death to begin with that people just want something to grab onto and whether you, whatever kind of culture you want to believe in. I mean, there's only a handful of them that don't want to try to like acknowledge ghosts as a possibility, but I mean, theoretically, even speaking from like a scientific standpoint, if the, if you are energy and your consciousness is some form of energy, and we all know that like humans are electronically and water, water based, that there's still some release of energy. And I feel like the most, I don't know, the most, uh, the idea that makes the most sense to people more, more likely than anything is that that energy gets released and theoretically holds the form of the person that it was attached to. And then, I mean, past that you start getting into like intelligent or residual haunting. So it kind of depends on which way you end up looking at it. Um, I've always kind of viewed like the intelligent hauntings as more so, um, I guess like a spiritual type of thing where when you get into like the residual hauntings, they kind of play two different methods as far as like, you know, that you could be looking at them from the spiritual aspect, or you could be looking at them from a scientific aspect that there was just this energy that gets stored in that area. And I heard somebody else kind of talking about this whole theory about how, like, obviously the earth is magnetically based. So if you almost imagine the earth as like a VHS or like a cassette deck, for example, that you'd be able to store electronic memories within it and on top of it. So I've heard a few people kind of describe like residual hauntings as almost working like how a cassette or like how a VHS tape would work, that it preserves a memory based on the electric mixing with the magnetic of the earth. And it's, it almost kind of runs like a tape essentially. That's, that's a really interesting one. I haven't heard that one before, but that does make sense. And also why you would see the constant repetition that is known for residual haunting. One that, I've always been interested in for residual hauntings is the theory that it's a result of overlapping timelines, basically because one philosophical theory is that all time is happening simultaneously. Like right now we're in the present, but if I were to talk about tomorrow, the future, that's still happening now because I'm talking about it now. And if I were to talk about yesterday, that's also happening now because I'm talking about it now. So going along with that theory that everything's happening all at the same time, what if, let's say, I see a ghost in a house from the 1700s walk straight through a wall, and then you look at the plans of the house from that time, and at that, and in the original plans, there was a doorway there where I saw the ghost walk through the wall. So it's not necessarily that they have these physics bending abilities it's just that they are in their own timeline and we are just kind of passing cars witnessing each other's timeline yeah i would say that gets into the whole like 
interdimensional con not yeah i want to necessarily say interdimensional but the whole concept about multiple realities existing upon each other at the same time and you even kind of get into like the time slip concept where i've heard a few different cases where like somebody was a young kid and they saw this like apparition coming down the stairs and then later on in life they were walking down the stairs and then they saw an apparition sitting on the couch and it's just almost like seeing through the veil or if again, if time is not necessarily linear, everything could theoretically be happening at the same time. And it's just a matter of at certain times, your perspective is a little bit different in order to kind of view through things. And I mean, even depending on people too, sometimes they kind of perceive these things a little bit different, which again, kind of goes into like your perception of reality to begin with. Uh, because, you know, I've heard a few different cases where two people would be looking at the same ghost and one of them sees it more like a shadow person. The other one sees it more as like a bright white apparition. And again, that kind of gets based on maybe perspective. I've even thrown different theories about it as far as like possibly just the way your eyes are developed because, you know, usually females can see colors better than mm -hmm. males can. And there's a lot of different colors that they can see that males theoretically can't see. So I've been kind of curious if there's like a different perception based on like cones in your eyes and what you can perceive will determine like how you see an apparition because it's i'm assuming that it's kind of a color that somewhat exists outside of the human color spectrum to begin with and that's why you can't really fully like manifest these things sometimes you kind of just see them as more of like something that's existing almost in a blank space and it's just a matter of like how your brain chooses to perceive it and how it tries to perceive it the best that it, it can at the time I, I agree with that because sensory perception varies from person to person, like you were saying about um, different cones in the eye. Also, when you think about it, it's possible that they are existing on multiple planes or different planes of existence. So what does their molecular? what does their molecular makeup look like? Is it purely electromagnetic? Is it some other type of particle? And that could vary upon the types of person that's perceiving it. You also have the psychological aspect of it, like you were mentioning about your brain is trying to piece together something that you might not necessarily understand. But that also means that are some people just more open to perceiving it to begin with? Like if somebody is so has their blinders on and is so focused on one endpoint, are they not likely to see an apparition if standing next to somebody who is constantly around, uh, aware of their surroundings? So two people can experience two separate things just from their automatic mental mindset and how they perceive the world around them just because of how they operate. I mean, that kind of goes into the idea too that like two people can see an apparition. They can see the same exact thing. But one wants to believe and one doesn't want to believe. The person that wants to believe is going to theoretically see that thing maybe as it is or maybe they'll kind of turn it into something more than it actually is versus the person that doesn't want to see it. They're going to try to write it off. They're going to try to say, oh, it was a reflection off of this. Oh, it was just, you know, light caught some steam or whatever, or some smoke in the air and it turned into this. So, again, it goes past even just like matter of like, perception past that but also again what you mentally want to see or choose to see because especially the paranormal unlike uh like cryptids for example which seem to be a lot more like physical right in front of you um it's really easy for people that don't want to believe in it to write stuff off especially like the simple little things like cups getting moved uh cold spots in certain areas things like that like it's really easy for people to write that off especially the cold spots because 
you know, people that know about the phenomenon and are into the phenomenon, they'll be walking in a room that's, say, 75 degrees, and then they walk past a little spot that drops down to, like, 50 degrees, and they're going to instantly say, all right, there's something weird about this area, but anybody that doesn't want to believe in it, they're going to be like, oh, it was just a draft from this, from that, and it's like, oh, okay, you're in a fully enclosed basement. Where's the draft coming from? And they're like, oh, no, it's, it was this, it was that. Like, it goes, it goes a little bit farther into like almost like all the different senses as far as like how you perceive it and being aware of what it is. And just because of the paranormal, again, being so like intangible, like it's hard to like grasp. It's not like a physical thing, like a UFO abduction or a cryptid. Like it's just super easy for people to write off that want to have no interest in it. I agree. And it, the whole thing really is about the human experience but i do think that having the conversations between somebody who is so ready and eager to believe in its existence and then somebody who is more skeptical on the side of it i think having the conversation between the two is key to finding that truth that exists somewhere in the middle because two people can have their own truths. They might just not necessarily match up. But by having that conversation, by saying, hey, this room is 75 degrees. I just walked through this spot here that dropped down to 50. The first response should be, oh, maybe there's a draft. Because you always want to have that level of thinking that not everything is paranormal. So having a healthy balance between there is something weird going on here that I don't necessarily know how to explain and then trying to find an explanation. I think by balancing those two out, you find the healthy middle ground of attempting to understand what it is. Some, in my opinion, I think that a big issue is when we're so focused on saying, I know this full stop. And instead of saying, I'm trying to understand this, that's when we close ourselves off either in the form of being an investigator and super excited and wanting all this to not only be real, but also to exist, but also on the side of skepticism. You want to find that healthy middle ground of I'm trying to understand the phenomenon that is occurring and you don't want to get so caught up in necessarily knowing because then you lose the beautiful details that are encapsulated in the actual experience oh yeah I'm, I'm definitely it's it's half the time it's about like the mystery because if you knew for sure then it kind of partly loses its fun because then you can't necessarily create like theories on it but i mean just to get into another kind of side theory off of that um i've always kind of been curious if just as far as like the paranormal goes because everybody kind of knows the government looks into paranormal stuff as a whole be it astro traveling be it apparitions anything like that it seems like they have more of an understanding of it than what they try to lead people to believe that they do. And I think that's based off of more of like a scientific perspective that they take onto it. But I've kind of wondered if a lot of these like ghost hunting shows, for example, the reason why ghost hunting shows have become so popular is almost because they're trying to pull away from the idea. They try to make it seem like it's this crazy abstract idea that anytime you go into a building, you're going to see demons, you're going to see that. So that it kind of takes away from like the actual 
like science behind it that they're looking into because everybody's looking at it from this glorified, like, uh, I don't want to necessarily say like biblical lens, but a lot of people look at it that way because everything's a demon. And I know that not everything's a demon, but um, it seems like they just, they're okay with pushing it into the mainstream uh, with all of these big ghost hunting shows because then it makes it look ridiculous to the average person on the outside. So then it makes it so they can kind of like hide what they're doing farther in depth. Because I think, again, the government knows a lot more about this than we realize, even if it comes down to the scientific standpoint about consciousness leaving the body. And everybody kind of knows that tech is kind of working into this idea about almost like trapping consciousness within like an augmented reality or some type of other system. Um, I think that, again, just because of that aspect of it, like the elite's type people that have all the money to put the research into it their intention is that they're hoping that if their consciousness leaves their body that they could find a way to trap it down and put it back into something else you know be it a computer uh, another body at some point possibly uh, some type of robotic body um, but I think that yeah again that's where like the research is but because of how much time and effort they put into that they try to let everybody else look at the paranormal concept like it's some ridiculous thing off of every TV show that comes and goes that was i was i was contemplating something very similar the other day because i was perusing through barnes and noble and i went through the you know the section where it's all about religion and self transformation and the paranormal and i noticed that the books written by a majority not all but a majority of paranormal investigators or researchers were largely marketed as the most terrifying places that i've ever been to or the scariest locations and when you do watch these big ghost hunting shows it very much is focused on like what you were saying things are demons things are demonic things are scary and terrifying and everything's about who has slayed the most dragon type of situation and it makes you wonder how that per how we facilitate that perception of what it means to be a paranormal investigator say you're actually wearing a Pennywise shirt so this kind of works perfectly but the whole idea behind uh I think Stephen King hides a lot of stuff in his writing and I think he's aware of a lot more than what he leads off to and bringing in like the 1408 concept that there's this paranormal investigator who's been around everywhere and it's gotten to the point where he's just writing about it but he doesn't believe in it anymore because he hasn't actually seen anything and then he experiences that one case that makes him like fully believe in it I think that there's a lot more truth to that than people realize that there's all these locations that have these markers of this is haunted, this is haunted, just because they have really interesting folklore behind them, which I'm not going to take away from because it's definitely fascinating history. But I think that it also, again, kind of getting into this conspiracy of hiding like the real paranormal, uh, it's almost intended so that everybody's looking over here, but the actual haunted locations where actual phenomenon is happening at is over here and it's kind of like even like area 51 it's like they try to put this in the forefront so everybody's looking at this but the real stuff's happening over here but everybody's focal point is over here where they think all this crazy stuff is happening but all the crazy stuff is happening in a place that nobody's ever heard of before 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I agree with that because most of life is, you know, most of life is an illusion almost because it is a matter of perception and a lot of perception comes from controlling where you're directing your attention. So even if you look at it, like if you look at the way that people approach cryptid or cryptid research, most people, it's a bunch of guys just sitting around at night going, we're going squatching. That's a squatch out there, you know, and running around the woods at night with, you know, thermal cameras and night vision goggles. But if you strip all that away and you really look at what cr- something like cryptid research is, you start to realize that there's pattern. Like, why is Bigfoot or, you know, the Sasquatch entity always popping up where there seems to be areas of ecological distress? But that doesn't really sell per se. They want the focus on all that level of adrenaline pumping excitement. And there's always some edge of danger instead of looking at it as maybe there's some kind of common thematic situation going on. And let's look at this more in an academic and logical manner instead of everything being all of a sudden go, go, go adrenaline, adrenaline, high octane, high octane, because that makes it so much easier to distract from some of the more uncomfortable questions. I mean, some of like the, the most uh, trusted uh, cryptid researchers that I've talked to um, haven't even had like a, like a firsthand sighting. Like they found trace evidence. Uh, So it's like not again, what they make it up on like TV shows and part of like, even if the people don't realize it that are involved, like some of like the bigger like Sasquatch shows, I kind of wonder if like the funding behind them is this intention about getting into kind of like another whole conspiracy of like scaring people away from the woods because they want everybody to be within cities and kind of like be in an area where they can easily be controlled. So I feel like a lot of like why a lot of like recent Sasquatch folklore has been brought in to the forefront is this intention of scaring people away from the woods. And again, it's kind of the same thing. It's like the sleight of hand trick that they're saying, look over here when the danger is really over here. But 
you start really digging into like the Sasquatch stuff. And I mean, there's a few cases where of course they like, they're a lot more aggressive interactions of them. But for the most part, most of the people that are doing like the hard on in-ground research are just finding trace evidence because if these things are in the woods, like they don't want to be seen, they don't want to be brought into the forefront because there's a reason why they've been hiding from mankind for so long to begin with. And it's because realistically, like humans bring nature, bring destruction to nature. So it's like anywhere that there's a human at, if there are Sasquatch out there, they're going to try to stay as far away from that as possible because with humans bring danger. And that's how pretty much the entire animal kingdom sees us. It goes into the whole concept of like every animal is more scared of you than you are of them. And that's true because all humans usually end up doing when they go into places and they start settling is they start killing stuff. They start bringing destruction. So like any intelligent animal or creature is going to do everything that they can to stay as far away from humans as possible and if they get backed into a corner, that's where I feel like the aggressive encounters happen because just like any animal and even human, you back somebody into a corner and then that's when they go into attack mode. And then those are the stories that they want to push to the forefront that they want everybody to hear about. I agree with that because fear is a powerful tool. It is a control mechanism. Now, of course, it has its basis in evolution because fear keeps us safe. You don't want to be totally brave and courageous 100% of the time. If you see a lion out in the wild, your first instinct should not be, let me run directly towards it head on. Your first instinct should be, oh, let me get out of here, because you should be afraid of that. However, you can't let fear dominate and control everything. And that's kind of what we're seeing, I think, and what you're mentioning as well is that Everything is so fear-based and trying to make people afraid of the woods, afraid of Sasquatch, afraid of the unknown, that because we're so afraid, we lose the ability to question and ask questions like you're bringing up right now, that people are inherently destructive. But why is that? Why is it that humans are inherently destructive? Was it always that way, that whenever we went into an area, we brought death? and chaos and destruction or is there something that went on somewhere along the line whether it was on a basic human level as animals that are human or is it something that it varies culturally and socially like where did this breakdown come from is this purely a western thing is this a united states thing is this a european thing what does it mean for that fear to control us and to what extent does it lead to our breakdown? I mean, I think it has to do with like comfortability more than anything that there are a lot of cultures that are more comfortable with the idea of something being mysterious or unknown. And those are the people that seem to be a little bit less destructive because they're okay with not knowing things versus like Western culture. For example, we want to try to, turn everything into a city into a town because we find safety within knowing what's around the corner so to speak not necessarily you don't know if like a robber is going to happen but you don't want to like walk around the corner and see a bear so like people will try to build up these civilizations with the intention of safety and comfort and lack of running into things that are unknown versus like people that are you know more comfortable with the mysterious and the unknown. Those are going to be the people that are like living on the edge of the woods that are doing this, that are doing that, that 
aren't necessarily trying to destroy things because they're comfortable with having things be unknown. That's an excellent point that we oftentimes do destroy the things that we are uncomfortable with. And now I'm wondering whether or not if it's, it always comes back to the fear of the unknown and fear makes us uncomfortable. So when we're uncomfortable, we inherently have to destroy. So what part of us is driven by the need to know and the need to know just fueling our fear and then whatever outside possible conspiracies just fueling that fire within us and then we lead to our own destruction from within. Unintentionally too. I mean, kind of kind of sidetracking it a little bit here too because I want to make sure we have time for this too. Um, so you were talking about how you you do paranormal investigations and you kind of bring your mindset into it. And I'm sure we'll probably get back into some more theories and concepts based on this, of course, too. Uh, but I'd like to make sure we had time to kind of dig into uh, your paranormal investigations and your paranormal experiences you've had. And from there, again, we can kind of dissect them a little bit and talk about kind of like the theory behind them and comfortability factors on how like the average person would view something one way versus how somebody who's comfortable with the concept would view it a totally different way. Yeah. So fun fact, I used to be a total scaredy cat. I couldn't even watch a, a scary movie by myself without all the lights on. Um, I was terrified of ghosts, terrified of spirits, t- terrified of demons, uh, wouldn't go near a Ouija board, wouldn't look at tarot cards for the longest time. And then one day I was in, again, Barnes and Noble and perusing and I came across a tarot deck and I looked up at it and I went, nah. And then it hit me in the head. Like, I'm not joking. It fell off the shelf and knocked me right in the head. And I was like, okay, all right, I'm going to turn off Catholic brain for a second, and I'm going to let my curiosity take the best of me. Let me let me take this home and see what it's about. And that is the moment that I started to start, I finally started to question my fear. And listen, I the first time I went on a paranormal investigation by myself, I decided it was a good idea to stay in a haunted bed and breakfast. I thought, I'll be fine. There's going to be other guests. Little did I know, I was the only guest in the entire house. And the only other people lived on the property next door. So there I was. Just, I, people, I was texting people, like, every little bang. I was like, oh my god, I'm going to die. Oh my god, this ghost is going to get me. Oh my god, I was freaking out. I didn't get a lick of sleep that night. But then finally, the next morning, I, you know, like when the sun comes up, it's easy to not be afraid anymore because there's no more shadows. So in the clarity of the daylight, I further questioned, why am I so afraid of this potential alleged ghost? I don't even know if this thing exists. It was just an alleged haunting. And there wasn't even any negative stories about this ghost either. From all the stories that I heard, she was very kind. She was very maternal. She was a gracious host. But yet I was terrified of her possibly existing in my space. So that made me question, why? And that's really where I started returning to my legal roots. Because that was one thing that law was really good at, was 
surprisingly teaching me how to ask questions, which I wasn't always necessarily good at. And I just started questioning the why, the how. And I started going, I went on some investigations in, you know, your big name places like Mid-Orange. I went to Letchworth, things like that. But not that it didn't jive with me because it did. I love being in those places, but I didn't feel connected to it. And then one day I just decided to go wander through Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. And I started to notice and read all the graves. And I realized all these people had lives. They existed in reality. And what is a ghost but the remnant of something that already has existed in reality? So why don't we try to understand the life behind the dead? And now I find myself in cemeteries all the time. They're my favorite place to investigate. Not necessarily only because I'm looking for data and for evidence, but also because it gives me that quiet space to be able to say that something did exist in reality and how it might exist now could be different. It could be paranormal or it could just remain a story. So it's really about towing the line between life and death and seeing the connection between the two and utilizing the fear to ask better questions and using it to get to a point of understanding. Say, uh, digging into cemeteries too, it's kind of, they're one of those places that I've always kind of questioned as far as like, people had their final burial rites. So like are cemeteries necessarily as haunted as people perceive them to be? Because assumably if you were, if you were going to stay, like you wouldn't necessarily want to stay at the cemetery. You would probably stay at some place that you're closely related to like a house, uh, some place that you're comfortable with. You wouldn't want to necessarily be at a place that you weren't even technically alive to realistically even see in the first place. But then you kind of get into just like the, some of those different stone concepts that not every gravestone is made out of the same thing. So like, I kind of wonder sometimes if sometimes the material in which the grave was made out of to begin with, or the, the headstone was made out of to begin with, uh, might actually be somewhat of like an energy saver as far as like keeping those things there because it's attached to something because it grasps energy. And I mean, especially in areas where there's like the high quartz content, for example, it seems like there's a lot more paranormal activity that happens in those. So it kind of makes me wonder too, again, if there's like, if you have just like a cemetery that's just straight dirt and you just have concrete headstones, if there's not going to be anything there, but say you're in a place where there's quartz in the ground, uh, people are using different materials for their headstones. If there's going to be a lot more activity there based on the types of stone and the type of materials that are in the area that have the potential of holding energy in them. That is something that I've contemplated as well because quartz is such an interesting mineral. It is energy conducive. We utilize it for technology all the time. Uh, airplanes, plasma screen TVs. If you were to cut a piece of quartz in a laboratory, you could actually measure the energy that is emitted from it. So I think that part of it could be that, that the energy could be encapsulated in what's already existing in nature or being put there via something like a headstone. Another thing that I've contemplated is what if the headstone, it's not necessarily that 
the spirit is attached to it, it might not necessarily be something like a residual haunting. But what if it's a way of summoning something? What if you every time you walk by a tombstone and you read that person's name and you read their epitaph and you acknowledge their existence? What if it's a way of summoning them to you? That maybe spirits are free-floating. Maybe once you cross over that veil, once you cross over the other side, you don't necessarily have to be glued down to one location. Maybe you're just existing in the ether of whatever is out there. But by having somebody in this physical realm call you back to this physical realm, that is what causes alleged activity in cemeteries, in addition to the existence of of what's already there in nature, such as quartz. You know, I'd never really thought about it that way, but that is a really good way of thinking about it as far as like calling something back. And that could be, again, where the activity is at in the cemetery, because no, again, I don't see any like logical reason why somebody would choose to stay in a cemetery, even considering the fact that they didn't necessarily die there. Um, unless you're kind of getting into like the old hauntings when they didn't really necessarily know if somebody had passed yet. And they had that issue where they would bury people. They're still alive and they would actually die there. Like that's a totally different concept. But as far as like people have passed away recently with being attached to cemeteries, I got I, I I'm glad that you brought that up cuz I hadn't thought about it that way but yeah I feel like it, there is a good possibility that it's rather that you're calling them to there based on the fact that their name exists in that location versus them always being there and hanging out there all the time. I I also have this I don't I don't want to necessarily call it a theory it's more of like a creative musing, I guess, in my head. Because um, sometimes when I walk through and you you see all the big family plots that are kind of next to each other, and sometimes they are related, sometimes they're not. And I just wonder if maybe they all get together at like, you know, like how we have block parties. Maybe they have cemetery parties and all the people just kind of gather at their graves and do like, <laughs> like a paranormal potluck kind of situation. And I, it's not necessarily a theory, like I said, it's more of a creative musing, but it brings a certain level of comfort to the idea of death that maybe even in the afterlife, you can get to know your neighbors and have some fun with them at the, you know, at the tombstone next door. <laughs> that almost kind of makes you wonder if <coughs> burying a body almost kind of leaves more of like an anchor that, you know, if they are existing somewhere else, assumably they need like a starting location or some kind of anchor into like this physical reality in order to be here. And of course, when you're talking about like house hauntings, like their anchor theoretically would be the house that they love so much and they became attached to. But if it's somebody that never necessarily had an attachment to any like physical object or place on the earth, you'd still be somewhat attached to your physical body. So again, like, I wonder if that's almost like a, like a lead in spot, you know, that maybe they don't necessarily like plan on staying there, but maybe they have to come in through that place because their physical body is their anchor in order for them to get back into this reality to go and venture off elsewhere. So maybe more of like the cemetery concept isn't so much that it's like, oh, massive graves, massive haunting, but rather it's more of like a train station, so to speak, that they have to come in through here where their physical body is in order to go other places. Yeah, because if you look at stories of people like grave diggers or, you know, folklore traditions of leaving coins at the entranceway to the cemetery as a token of entrance, it is this theory that it is that middle ground between one world and the next uh, kind of situation. 
Just uh, I want to throw this one in here just because I found this fascinating the other day, and I, I I don't remember where I heard this from. I think I heard it on another podcast, but the whole idea behind like a sheet ghost, like everybody sees a sheet, like the normal drawing that everybody does of a ghost, it's basically a sheet ghost, and a lot of people don't necessarily know like why that became a thing instead of just drawing like a person built as like an apparition. And I guess the the base behind this was the fact that a long time ago when people would pass away, most of the time they were in a bed when they passed away. And what they would do is they would wrap them in the sheets and bury them in the sheets that they died in. Because even, of course, not to get too gross and graphic, but when somebody passes away, like you release a lot of bodily fluids. So nobody's going to be washing and reusing those sheets again. So they'll just wrap the body up and put them in the sheets. And then from there, kind of based the idea behind like the sheet ghost that they assumed that if they were going to come up, they're going to be in the last thing they're wearing. And if the last thing they're wearing was their deathbed sheets, then they're going to be seen as wearing a sheet. So again, just to, I want to throw it in there just because I found it fascinating. I don't know if a lot of people know that, but the sheet ghost concept came from burying people in their deathbed sheets. I, I didn't know that. That is... That is really fascinating. I, I've, yeah, I've always wondered that, but I never, I don't know why that was one of the things I never thought to look up for some reason. So thank, thank you. Because I, I, I was kind of wondering myself because the common drawing is always like it's sheet and it doesn't, I, I never really like made sense to me. I just assumed it was one of those things that came from like people trying to make old Halloween costumes or something. Like I thought it was like a Halloween based thing that people started doing that just because that's the easiest way to try to produce a ghost. I didn't realize that there was actually like backing in a folklore concept to that idea in the first place. And assumably too, if you do believe in the paranormal and assumably everybody listening to the show, at least somewhat believes in the paranormal, then the people that were seeing them back in the day, they probably did look like walking sheets moving around the graveyard because, again, that was the last thing they were wearing. And that kind of makes you wonder with, like, the modern-day ghost that we aren't doing that anymore. So, like, if you're seeing a really old ghost, you might actually see them as somewhat of a sheet ghost versus, like, a modern-day ghost having, like, the normal, like, apparition idea that they're just wearing grayed-out standard clothes at that point. And that... That also raises a good point too that everyone kind that not everyone but the what I believe to be the large scale perception is that folklore is dismissed as folklore that it's just stories it's just legends but like you just pointed out it really does boil down to a certain point of truth that while there might not necessarily be sheet ghosts running around or there might be that that story began in something very real and that it was people who existed in reality passed away and deceased would be wrapped up in their bedsheets. Next thing you know, it is that true story that led to the creation of what we now know as the sheet ghost. So a side note away, of course, from talking away from sheet ghost, uh, I always have to ask this to all the paranormal investigators, uh, just because it, it's the it's the question of the hour every single time. But uh, as far as like your paranormal investigating goes, what was your favorite thing to investigate, and I guess what was your most uh, like fascinating experience while investigating? Ooh, so my, I would have to say Letchworth, not only because I have significant. 
I have significant emotional attachment to Letchworth because I grew up in Stony Point, so I grew up hearing all the story. Um, both my grandmother and my aunt worked in Letchworth. I used to rehearse in Letchworth. So there were tons of times that we had paranormal activity going on during rehearsal. But also because one day I was investigating... And so here's the thing. You're technically not allowed to go in there. I, however, being lawyer brain, argue that it's what is legally known as an attractive nuisance, meaning that the town doesn't do a bunch to keep people out of there. So if you leave it open for access and people access it, then that's that's on you. Um, so I was in there and I was in the hospital um, with some other investigators, and when we were down in the basement morgue area, one of the other investigators got a communication, I forget which app it was, but it said, Father, don't, or, like, Father, stop, something like that. And we're like, huh, that's ominous and weird. We continue on, we go up a few flight of stairs, and we all kind of separate amongst the floor. As I'm exploring around, I notice one of the rooms has some graffiti, and there's a crude-drawn devil, like, on, you know, in spray paint on the wall, and right next to it, it says, Father F's me. Like, you know, you can fill in the expletive there. So, I immediately think to the communication that happened downstairs, and I'm like, huh, that's weird. Like, that's a weird coincidence, so I call the other investigator over, and we go in that room, and he gets, on the same app, the name Julia comes through. I'm like, huh, that's interesting. And I'm getting all sorts of verbal communication through the app that I'm using. He's getting communication through his app. And I keep feeling a presence, because I'm standing in the doorway because I was filming, and I kept feeling something over my right shoulder, and I'm like, there's something, like, right here. So I turn, and I'm filming the door. And then he starts getting include, include, include. And I look at the door, and there's graffiti on the door. And I don't want to imply anything. So I go to him, like, hey, do you see that graffiti on the door? And he goes, yeah, I do. And I'm like, what does that look like to you? And he says, Julia. It was... It, it was one of the most profound experiences in the paranormal that I've had, just because, I, like, the synchronicity of it, and also, you could feel, you could feel something there. You could feel the pain, because so much terrible stuff has happened in those buildings, and frankly, I think that it's a total disservice that they are sitting there in gross disrepair just falling apart you know inviting in people who don't necessarily have good intentions like i know when i went in there with some other investigators we had good intentions we wanted to see if something wanted to communicate we wanted to understand the history but you have people in there that do go in there and do graffiti you have people who go in there to party you have people with bad intention when it could be facilitated to do something like have a museum in there I don't understand why there hasn't been anything to encapsulate, not necessarily even the paranormal. I think the paranormal should be discussed, but there is so much history there, not only for mental health, but also how much we have garnered from medical science. 
Polio vaccine was developed in Letchworth. Most of what we know about neuroscience was in Letchworth. But now it has been condensed down to nothing but a place where it's known for graffiti, partying, and paranormal investigation. So that moment with Julia, who might have been a very real person and might have gone through some horrible, traumatic things that were known to have happened at Letchworth. Child abuse was rampant in Letchworth and still is rampant throughout the medical medical and mental health industry. It really just put in perspective to me that, yes, we're going looking for ghosts. However, these ghosts at one point were very real people and maybe part of our job as paranormal investigators and paranormal researchers isn't to prove the existence of ghosts, but to immortalize the history of people that once upon a time were alive. And now the only thing that might remain of them is their story. And the fact that they're sticking around in a weird way kind of tells they have an untold story that needs to be told, even if it's based on just knowing their truth and their experiences that they went through. Uh, there's still a story that needs to be told um, from them. And that, again, that's the reason why they're sticking around to begin with. Yep. <laughs> but everyone always just like to say, oh, you're just hunting ghosts. But it's, it's so much more than that. Hey, my favorite part about it is the story behind it. Like, I love investigating. Don't get me wrong. But my favorite part of any of the stuff that I do is the stories and experiences behind them, because that's just what I've always gravitated towards. That's what I like to collect. And I'm huge into folklore. And that was kind of like my base that kind of built me into everything. And folklore, realistically, is just a collection of stories through times through different people's perspectives. So, yeah, especially when it comes to the paranormal, like my main focus on stuff is that I would never do an investigation without knowing the story and the history behind the place, because that takes away 90% of the fun of it for me. <laughs> I think it depends for me on where I'm going because I also don't want to I don't want to have that forced perception thing I don't want anything to cloud my judgment and make it so that my mind like there could be something very real going on and then have my mind skew it because I know too much of the background I think that also might be why I'm so drawn to cemeteries is you have some historic cemeteries and then other ones that aren't. And then you just, at least for me, I have to go by pure instinct and something that's like drawing me to a certain grave or a certain area. And lo and behold, more often than not, there is something very, very real happening there. Um, after we log off, I'll send you pictures from the cemetery in Bridgeport where uh, P.T. Barnum is buried. I got a communication saying, iron, iron. And I was like, iron what? And I'm like, I don't have any iron on me. I don't have anything metal. But then I something was telling me to look up and look to the left. So I look up and to the left, and in the distance, I see a monument that was all rusted and, uh, you know, mossed over. So I'm like, huh, I wonder if that's what they're talking about. Sure enough, I walk over to it. What's it made out of? Iron. And there was a lot of weird stuff on that monument. Um, Very purposefully placed uh, precious stones, quartz, at the both feet... Um. Uh, the base of Jesus had quarters placed in front of them. There were flies and beetles coming out of the monument. So it's stuff like that where it's you kind of, you don't, and 
there's and that grave i still have to do a little bit more research because i think there's more of a story but that grave that family was a prestigious family in the area and uh founded a church there i can't remember the name of the church off the top of my head but he was a revolutionary war hero he was a politician he was active in the religious community and now his monument just so happens to be a place where somebody or people some people are leaving some kind of offering like what does that mean so it's it's always allowing yourself to research and be fascinated by the history but giving yourself the freedom to just feel it and experience it naturally that's uh, that's my perspective oh no yeah definitely because uh, I, I, I understand what you're getting at as far as like knowing too much of the history behind it and it's kind of altering your ideas. Uh, that's why for at least for me, like if somebody says that there's one specific ghost of a certain person here, rather than just like researching that, I usually will kind of like research the history of the building as a whole. So it's still, you're like connecting pieces without having too much behind it, but it's a little bit different of a method of doing it. Rather than going in and saying, this is exactly who this ghost is, uh, you know, I kind of like learn the history of the place and then kind of say, okay, so this person may have been this person, this person could have been this person, and then kind of build up clues based around like figuring out who that person theoretically could have been instead of hydro, like just focusing on like one specific person and then saying it's that specific person. It's more so like the history of the land and the place as a whole. I agree. You know, I, I would love to go on an investigation with you one day. I'd love to go lurk around a cemetery or go check out an historic site. I think it would be, I think it'd be a lot of fun. And I think we'd, I think we'd get a lot of cool stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. We'll have to uh, set something up depending on what state you're in and stuff. Maybe you can find like a middle ground spot, but yeah, definitely be fun. We should definitely set something up. <laughs> I'm, I'm in good old New York where we get our coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I make it to Pennsylvania here and there, so I haven't made it to New York yet, but all I need is an excuse for a convention and I'm sure I'll make it out to New York one day. <laughs> I, I believe in you. And more than that, Bigfoot believes in you, too. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, I have a full list of cryptid affirmations that I go through for people. I'm like, uh, the aliens believe in you. The ghosts believe in you. Bigfoot believes in you. The dog man thinks you're a good boy. Like, I have a full, <laughs> like, I have a full itinerary of uh, cryptid affirmations for people. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to base them depending on who's researching what. But, hey, it kind of worked out you use a Sasquatch one for me because on Bizarre yeah. Encounters, I go by Shane Squatch. So, Perfect. <laughs> But kind of leading up towards the end, uh, I usually like to do words of wisdom from the guests to the listeners. So if there is any words of wisdom you'd like to bestow on the listeners, what would it be? Be not afraid. Ain't that the truth? really what it comes down to. It's fear is natural. And like I said before, you should feel fear. However, there is a difference between feeling fear and being afraid. Because if you're afraid, you're going to stop yourself. You're going to hold yourself back and it's not going to lead you down the path of who you are meant to be and who you are meant to develop into. But if you allow yourself to feel the fear and address it, you're not afraid. You are taking steps forward, difficult steps forward, but courageous steps forward. And you're allowing yourself to develop into a person that you're meant to be you might not necessarily know who it's meant to be but you are allowing yourself to fully embrace that journey because you're feeling the fear without being afraid 
navigate the fear rather than letting the fear control you. Bingo. And uh, with that, of course, if uh, anybody wanted to come and find you online, they want to check out your research, uh, they want to get in contact with you, for example, uh, where can everybody come and find you on the internet? So on Facebook, it's Ari Spence. Um, I have three separate Instagrams. I have legally underscore punk, which is kind of my catch all for everything in my daily life. And then for the more macabre and paranormal based, I go by tomb tales, uh, tomb underscore tales and legally underscore haunted because I like to keep things thematic, you know? So I'm, I'm previous lifetime. I was legally punk in this lifetime. I'm now legally haunted. And that's pretty groovy. <laughs> I like that. I'll have to include, I will include all the links down in the show description so everybody can find it quick and easy, of course. And I appreciate you making the time to come on the show today and I'm looking forward to next time. I appreciate you having me and I appreciate our conversation. I've, I've learned a lot. Thank you so much. If you guys enjoyed the show, don't forget to share it through word of mouth or you guys can always leave a review for the show on iTunes or Spotify. And if you guys leave a five star, of course, on iTunes, then I will read on the show and give you guys a big shout out. And uh, don't forget to report your encounters because I would absolutely love to hear them. You guys can send them into OMMEncounterReports at Outlook.com or you guys can go to the link tree and there is a submission form off of there to report an encounter. And uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of me for any reason whatsoever, you guys can do so through social media or through email, which is IncreaseOurRealityPodcast.Outlook.com or you guys can go again to the link tree, fill the submission form, which is all the way at the top, and that will go directly to my email. And uh, every single email that I get, I do respond to. So make sure you guys check your spam and junk folders. Make sure nothing gets missed because more often than not, it seems like a lot of my messages seem to go to people's spam or junk folders. And uh, everything that I mention is all available in the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.